Welcome to episode 10 of Sight and Insight. This is a podcast for art lovers. I'm Judy Curtis and with me today we have Lorwyn Nagel, who's called Connie to her friends, and David P. Curtis. And we have had a wonderful morning. We've been to see the Gertrude Fisk show at the Portsmouth, no, Plymouth. No, Portsmouth Discovery. (laughs) Portsmouth Discovery. Portsmouth Historical Society. So I'll get it right in the end. Uh, It was a beautiful exhibition, so we're going to be talking about that and some of the pieces that were in the show. And hopefully you will find time to drop by and view it for yourself. Um, The show is on until... uh, Let's see, I'm just checking my notes here. It's on until September 30th, I believe it is. Um, and we're going to be, I'll be part of a symposium uh, given on Saturday, June 16th, 9am to 3pm called Gertrude Fisk, Her Art and Her World Uh, and I'll be one of the speakers there and others will be Lainey McCartney who curated the show Carol Walker-Aiden who is the premier Fisk scholar uh, Kerry Vos from Vos Galleries and I believe members of the Woodbury family who are going to be giving some reminiscences of their uh, ancestor, Charles Woodbury, who was Gertrude Fisk's teacher. So having made a complete mess of that opening introduction, let's move on <laughs> uh, and get right into this because I just thought it was a very stunning, inspirational show. Um, it's hard to know where to start. I suppose if I start with... As you walk into the gallery, the first painting you see is called Bettina. And it shows uh, a finely modelled woman in a black outfit with a black cloche hat on. But she's um, positioned uh, in front of a red and gold wall, patterned wall. And it's just beautiful. It shows the sort of the chinoiserie effect. Uh, and it's a stunning portrait, and to me, that background really sets, uh, sets the figure off. But uh, let's turn to Connie and see what Connie thought of it. Well, um, thank you, Judy. And uh, it, it was fantastic to see this show this morning. Um, uh, if you have a, a chance to go into Portsmouth, uh, New Hampshire, you should, you should see it. It's called Discover Portsmouth. Center and uh, it's right on Middle Street and um, it's uh, it's fabulous. I uh, I think that uh, the the pit, the painting that you're referring to I think it was it was a great beginning. But as I turned the corner, I saw some most these landscapes. I'm a landscape painter, and um, her landscape paintings were fantastic. They were, uh, they hold together, they're, they're bold, they're dynamic. Uh, the, um, what I have found out is that uh, her, her teacher, Woodbury, talked about painting as a verb, not painting as a noun. And what he means by that is to do the rhythm, the, the dynamism that you see in nature. And you could see it displayed in spades. Uh, throughout this this show, and especially, uh, I felt like with the landscapes, there were um, there were ways in which she risked uh, a lot to to perform to to create something that that actually 
carries forth an energy, a feeling. Like, for instance, one of them was turkeys. And the turkeys, through the brushstroke, you get the sense of the turkey being swishing around and, and displaying his, his fan of feathers. And, and you, you get that excitement uh, as as that turkey is walking through the the landscape, and uh, there were so many other ways in which she was able to capture the perspective in a way that was totally unique and Gertrude Fisk. Yeah, uh, I should have started out, of course, right at the beginning, saying Gertrude Fisk uh, studied for seven years at the Boston Museum School. And so she had a, uh, a very solid training with artists such as um, Tarbell, Benson, Hale. She got this classic education, and she's the only person I can think of who actually did the whole seven-year course. Most of them sort of did four years, some of them did less. Um, so she did get this terrific training, and while she was studying at the museum school, she was spending the summers up in Agunquit, Maine, studying with Charles Woodbury, who to me is a total opposite to, to the museum school with his sense of colour and his, his just the, the way he approaches the brushwork. So David, I know you're familiar with the Boston School. What do you think about um, Gertrude Fisk's approach, how she started out in a very traditional manner and how she progressed? Yes, uh, the, I'd like to start off by saying that the importance... Uh, we, we returned from the museum and we started looking at the reproductions, either in the catalog or photographs that we took. And right away, there was no life in the reproductions compared to, in our own minds, fresh in our minds, where these, and I can still see the, the paintings vividly uh, in my mind, and they're much clearer there than they are in the reproductions I might look at. So it's very important for the student or the painter for 50 years, 60 years, to go see an exhibit because these works are alive and they're fresh and this particular artist, Gertrude Fisk, brought them to life in front of us and they're right there just as if she had just finished it and hung it on the wall. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing show because she's such a great colorist and designer and if I said those two things first, you might not associate those principles with the so-called Boston School. Mm -hmm. uh, the Boston School and a great education, uh, the, uh, as you said, so many years was sort of primary. Philip Hale, I believe, did the drawing and they would do a figure mm -hmm. drawing in a week's time, mm -hmm. um, carrying off uh, the, from life. Uh, most all their work was done from life, models and costumes done from life at the school. And these were professional artists teaching people how to become professional artists. It wasn't a commercial school where they would be trained to uh, go off into life and do illustration and things like that. They were taught and guided by these professional artists into a profession of, of painting. Um, and I think that's, that's crucial. Um, of course, you probably do have to be a person of leisure in order to spend so much time. Or you have to be so inspired to paint, uh, you do this. But I, I think I came away from that exhibit, and I can't wait to go return uh, in a couple weeks because it's on all summer long. So take your time. But 
the sooner you get up here to see this, right now it was very quiet. I didn't think it was too busy there today. No, no, uh, quiet. We could spend a lot of time in front of one painting without being pushed aside. Uh, you know what uh, art lovers are like. They, you know, you know, they can push you down and walk all over you, you know, like a rock concert, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know where you've been. I've never seen that at the MFA. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it was just one of those shows where you go in and there's just so much to see. It's hard to hard to take it all in. Um, I, I did purchase their catalogue. They do have a great catalogue there. And I know what David means is that compared with the original painting, there's no... Nobody can can put an illustration into a catalogue and have it look as good as the painting does. But it is a very good catalogue, and I would heartily recommend that you go out and buy a copy, because you're not often going to see a collection of paintings like this in one place. And it's a, they have it in a, a great gallery. It's it's nicely uh, nicely arranged, and uh, you you can really see the uh, the progression of her work, her style as she uh, moved through her career. I think there are around 66 paintings of hers, plus in an upstairs gallery there are a collection of works by some of her contemporaries like Susan Rickenox, uh, Margaret Patterson, Anne Carlton, and I'm horrified to say I can't remember who the fourth one was, <laughs> but it's a nice collection of work and there's also a collection of contemporary painters of today that's in, in the upper gallery. But it's seeing her, her work in, in, in connection with, the, uh, with her peers is, is just a good way of, of being able to compare how, how Gertrude Fisk was willing to take a challenge to, to step out of the Boston School mould. And as she's painting out of doors, she's, she's really pushing the envelope when she's using colour to paint out of doors. I mean, there's one, one of my favourite paintings was called On Pine Hill, uh, painted circa 1920, and it showed her home uh, in Agonquit, Maine, where she was painting with Woodbury. Uh, and it's just a, a fabulous design. I love the way that she has this white picket fence leading into the, into the painting and sort of directing the eye through. Uh, and I know David was very impressed with her colour handling in this. What, what did you like about that painting of Pine Hill there? You were talking about the way she Well, it's the funny because uh, I was... Connie and I and a mutual friend... Uh, all went out painting and we found a spot in which there was this fence that sort of attached itself to trees and went up along the edge of a road and there was a white house and that's the painting that popped into my head when I saw this scene to paint and it was you know not it was the inspiration for the piece that I, I did and and I think that's the beauty of when you go back into looking at great painters uh, and paintings of the past that it does rekindle these new ideas and new inspirations. I thought um, your use of the word verb mm -hmm. to describe her work. I never thought of it that way, but what a great way of describing her work rather than nouns of, you know, she because she did do a lot of figurative work, you yeah. know, uh, portraits and things like that. But they were not just a portrait of a person. There was always something else. Either she's in the background looking at a mirror and she's reflected in and mm -hmm. there's the sitter that's sitting there. And she's always designing like a lot of the, the that era of Boston school painters did where chinoiserie, did you say, is decorative, decorative in the background. Mm -hmm. But she was she understood design and unity of design through the use of color and form 
like like nobody else I've seen. I mean, I'm a, very familiar with Aldro Hibbert, who's always thought of as a great designer and another Boston school painter. Um, but yes, if I walked in there and said, oh, her teacher was Tarbell, I might say, no, you're wrong. Tarbell didn't teach her or because she did her own thing in her own way. And it was it was really beautiful. And I'm still I think there's always a formula to design and composition. But I really in this show, I couldn't say that she had a formula or, or an idea about design. In other words, centralizing the the form or the figure first and then relating it to everything else like a storytelling thing or with a lead character. I don't think she's doing any of that. And it's uh, it's a real mystery to me. And I can, that's why I say I can't wait to return to, to see it. Yeah. Con, yeah. Did you think it was... Well, I, I agree. Uh, there wasn't any formula that you could just suss out and say, oh, this is the way she was painting. Uh, each one of the paintings seemed to display something that was completely original and authentic. And I think in that originality, you, you got that she was looking at the subject matter and she was determining in that moment what was going to be the dominant note, what was going to be the passive note, what was going to be uh, you know, subsumed under that dominant note which would either be a color note um, a, um, or a series of lines. Uh, these sorts of things come into play and uh, or line and color uh, combined but in that moment you would you would notice that that your eye was moving completely around the composition in a very harmonious pleasant way. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned um, A.T. Hibbert a little earlier, David, and there's actually a picture on page 13 of the catalogue which shows Mr. Tarbell's class at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston, in May 1911. And there's Gertrude Fisk, there's A.T. Hibbert, uh, his friend Harry Farlow, with whom he went uh, on a page travelling scholarship uh, after he graduated, um, there's uh, Marion Louise Pook, who was in that same class, and Beatrice Whitney. Uh, there's some great artists who went on to uh, carve out a name for themselves in the arts. It's interesting to have such talent in, in one class, I think, is quite amazing. Um, the phrase, painting in verb, which is going to be the title of, of my contribution to this symposium on June 16th, comes from the phrase from Charles Woodbury, who used to tell his students, you have to paint in verbs, not nouns. Uh, and you think about it, okay, how does a verb um, describe what you're doing in a painting? But somehow, whenever I look at that, the strength of the colour she uses, her, her sense of design to move the eye uh, around the painting, uh, just when you look at the, the impasto on some of the paintings, that's all you can mm -hmm. think of, is that she's really... And giving it all she's got just in this one painting is the only thing that matters at that particular time. Uh, and she has some interesting um, ideas about design. I know one of the things that they, uh, they mention uh, throughout the catalogue, throughout the show, is she was a modern woman and she was uh, trying to break out of the mould of sort of the genteel woman in the Boston School paintings where... You know, the model was in a beautiful white dress against a pretty blue sky and, uh, and painting like that. And Gertrude Fisk was always out there really doing something 
there was a boldness, uh, a vigour to her work that they, they like to describe to show that she was uh, moving away from the gentility and moving into sort of even um, the, the grittiness of the, uh, the, the new urban modernity and that she was always putting in the telegraph poles that, uh, that appear in, in some of the, the streets. One of my favourite paintings was the, um, I think it's called View of Portsmouth, uh, and it has uh, the, the burial ground in the foreground, and it also has a couple of the red gasometers in the background, but because of the way it's designed, you notice the, the note of red and the structure, but you don't think of it as the gasometer, which, would you really want a picture of gas meters on, on your wall? But I think it's just beautifully designed, and uh, I, I think her use of colour is quite phenomenal. So did you have a favourite painting, Connie? Well, you were talking about some of the views of Portsmouth. There's one painting in particular that I, I liked a lot. It was the South End, and it was taken from Pierce Island. And after we uh, finished looking at the show today, we we took a tour, and we drove over to Pierce Island, and and could see where she had positioned herself to paint this painting. And uh, it was, the interesting thing about this painting that I thought gave it unity was that it was a hill that uh, was appropriately colored a, a type of yellow-green that, that was really a mass of yellow-green. Mm -hmm. And then behind it was silhouetted Portsmouth with its iconic uh, steeples mm -hmm. and that was in a grayish purple and that was those two notes together were were set in a way that harmonized that that created a dynamic uh, symmetry I'd say and uh, when we were sitting on the hill of course this hill now is has lost all of its green is um, is completely barren, has no trees. She had uh, three trees in there that were appropriately set set in in a way that again created that that wonderful synergy in this painting. So so it's wonderful to be able to go, you know, more than a hundred years later, you know, and and look at the same place where she painted. Yeah, it is. It's always nice to see that some of the areas are still untouched and exactly. available to the artist. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed with some of these paintings is that there's a certain flatness to, to the paint quality, and yet you still feel that she's turning the form. I mean, a tree, you feel that you can walk right around it. How do you think, how is she able to get that effect, David, do you think? Well, I think that's part of that training, that keep it flat, keep it flat, and keep it flat. Uh, be more patient about turning form. Don't, don't uh, try to make it look uh, round too soon. Uh, be patient because the tones have to be exactly right. There again, it's not about just the understanding of turning form as if you were doing a drawing. In painting, we can turn form with color and design. And they were really taught that hold off, hold off, hold off until it's time to turn the form. And there is a timing to that. And by keeping it flat, you're more conscious and more aware of, of the overall design uh, better and probably can spend more time with designing your painting so that you're not 
like I said, turning the form of a, a small tree here and a building here and here and here. And then that's sort of the way the painting can be read that way, where she keeps it very flat, very chromatic, I would mm. say, is the word for color uh, in her work. And I, and I think that's crucial. And, and we, we have to remember that even though the Boston School gets a great deal of credit for their curriculum and their, the, the teachers there, um, uh, and, and, and they actually sort of, a lot of those teachers left the school uh, around 1914, around the time that Gertrude Fisk graduated. So she was probably the last painter that had that particular uh, group of artists Mm -hmm. who were teaching, uh, because the museum wanted to uh, administrate it, meaning control the, the curriculum, control everything. And Tarbell and Benson didn't feel that this would go over, it wouldn't work. And they were firm believers in more of the European method or the old atelier system mm -hmm. of the teacher passing on the knowledge to the student rather than making it a, a curriculum like other yes, schools so working out is passing on their knowledge rather than... Uh, a lay person organizing the curriculum. Right, and, and they would know what to do. So they all sort of in mass resigned about 1914. Mm -hmm. So as I said, Gertrude Fisk. But they were all very, because they were artists themselves, I think felt that there was never a formula to painting. Mm -hmm. And I think they, they did their best to stick with the curriculum. Philip Hale teaching the, 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 the idea or the craft of drawing from life. Um, and dividing the light and shade, the chiaroscuro, um, very popular today, these Charles Barg school that's online, I think we've mentioned that before, um, that typical thing. But they also realized that, like we, like most of us painters today, that color is an individual um, like and dislike. You know, I don't like red, so I don't paint these red flowers as much as I like the purple flowers over here. There's that to it. But an understanding, a thorough understanding of color can do so much to this, under, uh, this idea of turning form or making something look like its form. And she does it a lot, especially her landscapes. As, as you said, she was influenced a lot by Charles Woodbury um, and Woodbury School, summer school, uh, versus the Hawthorne School, which was down Provincetown. And so some of the Boston students would go down to Provincetown, take Hawthorne's course. Others went up to Maine to uh, study with Charles Woodbury. And I think Woodbury, if we look, compare Woodbury's paintings to Hawthorne, I would say that Woodbury is much more dynamic, much more under, of an understanding of using color direct painting with color. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, you can sort of see how she subtly uses and. The other observation is is that how much red she puts in her landscapes. You know, I thought it was those. quite amazing. You did, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you noticed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like her her greens said red in them all over the place. Mm -hmm. Her yellows, red. They were more orangey yellows mm -hmm. than they were that sort of chartreuse mm -hmm. uh, uh, lime yeah. green yeah. color. Uh, much more pleasing to the eye, uh, but still with this wonderful sense of design. And I think we saw it when we saw the Pine Hill group, uh, the, the other ladies, the contemporary yes. ladies of hers, and her, and the sophistication of what she was doing with design. Yeah. And some of the other ladies were just as well trained in turning mm -hmm. forms, as we'd mm -hmm. say, but nonetheless, nobody put it all together quite like Gertrude Fisk. Yeah. You know, I, I was going to also say something about, I've been studying color theorists, and uh, Munsell talks about, he has a 
he has uh, one big quote of, of Munsell's is, color balances on middle gray. Now, what he means by that is that uh, you always must have a cool gray, a warm gray, you know, red grays, purplish grays. And, and I saw throughout this, this exhibit a lot of gray notes, particularly in the, in the portraitures, mm -hmm. um, that allowed the portraits to just uh, shine. I mean, you, you looked at those two men, and I'm not sure what the name of that, that painting was, but there are two men that are, that are sitting together, bearded men, and the light that's shining on their heads is stunning. But that only occurs if you have this middle gray that you're working with to, to um, sandwich in between the colors. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was it the brethren that you were the talking brethren. about. Yeah, correct. It is, and that was a beautiful piece. And I understand from Lenny McCartney, who curated the show, that that piece was found in uh, in the studio. That it had been just in the attic. Yeah, uh, I think it had been taken out of the frame. It was just stacked away. Yeah. Uh, and it needed some conservation to bring it back to um, you know decent quality, but it is a it's a a great piece. I thought all her figurative pieces were really interesting. She wasn't looking for the beautiful people to uh, to paint. I don't know that she was even doing these kind of things as commissioned portraits. They they look more to me like just people who. You know, she wanted to paint because they're, they're sort of um, the characters. Uh, there was another one, the grandmother um, from 1926. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's her grandmother, uh, possibly. Um, and but it's in that it, in that piece. It was it was so yeah. dynamic the way it they, is. It's uh, a, it's an amazing. You feel yeah. that she's just going to step right out of the yeah. uh, the frame there, <laughs> <laughs> out of her wheelchair. Yeah. I, I mean the figurative pieces in the show. I thought were were spectacular. There's there's so many. I like the the one of the uh, gentleman in the uh, checkered waistcoat with the pot of geraniums in the mm. corner, and of course Gertrude Fisk is uh, seen in the background in the mirror in the reflection painting. And I think in all the pieces where you could see her reflection, it looked to me more like she was using it to balance the painting, not because, hey, I want you to see that I'm here painting this painting. It looked like she needed that note there, uh, like the one of the uh, the nude with the back to the mirror. If she wasn't, if Gertrude Fisk wasn't on the left-hand side, all you'd see is the nude and then the back, and then you'd, you, know, you, you need things in threes, rod numbers, Otherwise, the negative space isn't quite right. Also, it reminds me of Velasquez. Yeah, you know, well, it's yeah. got that element of um, something that's very classical and yeah. yet uh, uh, kind of exciting. Mm. You know that you're in the the moment. Yeah, you know the viewer is actually there. You know, experiencing what the painter was experiencing. Yeah, um, I I was talking to David a little earlier about a painting called Dorcas. Uh, which wasn't in this show, but it's a piece I've always loved of Gertrude Fisk, of a, of a girl sat in a bright sunlit uh, lawn. Uh, she sat there with Gertrude Fisk, often painted her dog Guy, uh, and all the, uh, no, boy, not Guy, all the dogs were called by the same name. I think she had more than, more than one, they were all called Boy. But it was just an unusual composition. I've always liked it. And I was asking David how she gets away with this composition where the girl's legs just bleed off the canvas 
uh, and the dog's nose is right down at the bottom of the frame. Uh, even the, the hand comes right down to the, the bottom of the composition. Uh, and then there's, there's the whole sort of the sunlit grass in the background. And what's an unusual composition, I think it's very Degas-like, mm. where there's something, mm. you know, that just cuts off somebody at, at the knees there. Um, and David came up with this very important idea about why the painting worked. So I'll let him tell you because he explained it so well. <laughs> uh, if I can remember the painting. Um, I, again, I think I, the last thing I said was the, her use of red sort of surprised me. I'm sort of an outdoor painter too, and I, I like I tend to the cool notes because that's what I find, the cool blue sky. Uh, but she's uh, she's trained uh, her double training of the Boston School. Then every summer she'd go up and with Woodbury, who is much more charged with being outdoors and sunlight and getting the note and painting it and moving on to the next thing. Uh, whereas uh, maybe the Boston School they were a little more deliberate, but. I thought an interesting aspect to that painting was her use of reds, uh, how warm she could make the arm. The woman is sitting with a, a red dress on that's got a pattern to it. Her cheek is maybe accentuated almost a little too much, but she gets away with it because of the, the balance of space. She's got the figure sort of an, an L shape on one side, and then on the left side, a big space of sort of a cool green. And I think she, she does it beautifully. Um, if the dog wasn't parallel to her, the line of her dog boy and her leg being parallel, but without the dog, it's, it doesn't work as much. She might have gotten more pop to the head by taking the dog out, but that wasn't the point of it. The point of it is the unity of design. Even if you have something as strong as a figure that has a light and shade on her face, I think she has a way of not using that as her focal point. This is my lead character. Um, she balances everything out beautifully. Um, she impresses me as not a literal person, but a very, very figurative uh, or uh, descriptive pictorial person. She's not doing things literally. Like, I'll put a figure here that is saying this, and, and I'll put a dog over here that, that would represent that. It's much more, I don't want to use the word abstract because she's not in that realm, but she's thinking more of color and, and this idea. I think we came up with the word spiral. Mm -hmm. After we left, uh, uh, Connie sort of thought her work always had this sort of spiraling effect within it. And uh, I, I think that's an important part of this. As I say, I can't wait to return to see more mm -hmm. uh, and to try mm -hmm. to. Uh, designing is a very personal thing, and she really, she really shows that, that how personal it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was another, there was a painting of Dorcas. Uh, that is in the show. It's called Dorcas Reading with Dogs from 1925. Uh, and again, we've got the model who's uh, laid on this beautiful sunlit grass. We've got a, a white hat tossed down in the, uh, in the foreground. And we've got um, boys sat there in the background with his back to the artist. And there are almost three disparate objects <laughs> that are in there. And yet... You know, Gertrude Fisk manages to tie them all together just with the way she designed it and with her use of colour. Um, it's, it's really hard. I could pick out so many paintings that 
oh, this is my favourite, oh, 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 that one's my favourite. There's just there's too much to choose from, really. I've, I've never seen an exhibition where I could go in and see so many great pieces. Often you go in and you see one or two that really stay with you. Um, and Gertrude Fisk, she was very talented. She became a went you know, moved to a, a professional career in the uh, in the late. Um, I think she graduated like nineteen seventeen and went into a, like a professional career as a portrait artist and a landscape artist. She became an associate member of the National Academy in nineteen twenty two, and became a full National Academician in nineteen thirty. She was also the first woman who was appointed to the State Art Commission in Massachusetts. Um, she was, uh, obviously, she didn't have any matrimonial ties. Uh, she, had, um, she had family. She had, I think she looked after her father. Um, but she didn't have a husband or children till, that she had to think about. Now, whether that helped her artistic career, uh, I don't know. She loved to go out and play golf. She was a very... Um, active person and I think that comes over in her painting as well but uh, as we uh, as we ready to almost draw to a close I'm going to leave the the last word to our two artists here Connie do you have any last thoughts on the show well I thought I thought it was a, a super show um I, I I strongly recommend going to see it especially if you're a a, a painter uh, and um and you're interested in design, composition, this, this lady is um, probably one of the best designers I've ever seen. Um, and um, and uh, like Judy, like you said, um, she I think it was consistently outstanding. Each one of the paintings were, were superior. I've never I've never been to a show such as yeah, this. Well, yeah, well, there's, with such consistent quality. Right, mm -hmm. high quality, yeah. yeah. And I, and I think these museum, uh, small museums, mm -hmm. are having quality shows versus the big major museums that aren't doing much but asking for more donations. And these little museums are mounting these, mm -hmm. these great shows of American Impressionist painting, which, um, which, which is maybe is sort of the, the buried treasure of, uh, of, our, of our painters who painted in the early parts of the 20th century, uh, and now we can appreciate them, you know, 100 years later, and, and really, it, it's, it's a must-see show, uh, and I think she's, she's a wonderful artist. Yeah. Well, I think uh, after we've said all that, there's still another half hour I could talk about her work, so, uh, <laughs> but we're, perhaps we'll have to leave that for another time. But I hope you're all inspired to either go out and see the show or to go out and paint. <laughs> so enjoy the rest of your day and thanks for listening. <laughs>